Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Brian Schulmeister. Brian, I finally made my officially debut on the uh, the neighbor's wall of crazy. Did you throw poop in his can? Yes, I did. Well, there when you go. When it was on the street. When it was <laughs> on the street. Because, uh, yeah, his can hadn't gotten picked up yet. So, I, you know, I dropped a little duty in the booty there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came by yesterday to go do the same thing because it was garbage day. And uh, my side of the street had gotten picked up and his hadn't. And I look up on the wall and there are now seven pictures up on his fence and trees. And three of them are me and Bam Bam and Dino. And I just had to chuckle. Go take a photo of that. We'll put it up on the socials. Okay, okay. Uh, I came home and told my roommate, and she's like, just stop doing that. The guy's fucking crazy. It's going to be a problem. He's like, do you really want to get in a feud with this guy? I'm like, no, but it was funny. I'm famous. I'm, I'm crazy neighbor famous. You're, you're crazy wall of fame famous. Yeah, so if I mysteriously get shot one day, you'll know exactly why. I died for dog poop. Hmm. You should uh, have your drone out there with the camera, and you should take a photo of him when he puts up a new photo on his wall and then put that up on your wall. You need to start escalating this. Uh, well, I do have cameras pointed right at that spot, so I can actually go back through the footage <laughs> and probably find it. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so I got this one over at Cal Newport's blog, and I love Cal Newport. You mm-hmm. know, great guy. Uh, and uh, he says, top economist study, what happens when you stop using Facebook? Shockingly, (laughs) deactivating Facebook freed up 60 minutes per day for the average person in the treatment group. Much of this time was reinvested in offline activities, including notably socializing with friends and family. Mm -hmm. Are we surprised by this? No, of course not. And the sample size was (laughs) 2,743. So they went and found people who would be willing to be paid to leave Facebook for a month. And that's a bit of a self-selecting sample, unfortunately. Ah, But they did it. But they they did a control group Mm -hmm. from the same same people. Okay. And uh, deactivation caused small but significant improvements in well-being and in particular in self-reported happiness, life satisfaction, depression and anxiety. The researchers report this effect to be around 25 to 40 percent of the effect typically attributed to participating in therapy Mm -hmm. not bad the treatment group was less likely to say they follow news about politics or the president and less able to correctly actual (laughs) answer factual questions about recent news events i would have to say that they should have tested that beforehand because i'm guessing if they're reading fake news they would still be less (laughs) able to correctly answer factual questions about recent news and events Look, I'm I'm 100% on board with all these surveys, but I I don't like the focus on Facebook. I don't think it makes much difference if you ditch Facebook and then spend all your time on Twitter. It's just as damaging. So it's all social media that I'm down with. And I'm I'm happier, and I spend considerably less time on social media since we've started talking about all this. I would say my Facebook usage, unless something is going on and I'm like involved in some discussions with friends, my Facebook usage is easily down to 10 minutes a day. Oh, that's not bad. Mine is about uh, two, 15 minutes a week, I think. Right. Just going back and replying to people saying, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, not anything particularly surprising here. Just another study in the quiver of arrows against social media, but mm-hmm. focusing on Facebook. And speaking of social media and Facebook, if you want no better case study of how useless digital ads can be, <laughs> may I present to you Mr. Mike Bloomberg, who spent... Half a billion dollars on media 
a lot of it on digital, which we've discussed in previous shows, and uh, basically got two delegates from American Samoa. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So if you think he's a king in Samoa, (laughs) that's not to say that Facebook ads don't necessarily work for certain use cases. I certainly know, particularly in the music industry, if you have a low selling tour in a particular location, you are able to geo target and and target, you know, people that have liked your band and, and are in, say, Nashville, if your if your show isn't selling well. And that does work. But in general, blanketing the entire world with ads on Facebook does fuck all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his whole thing. And, and you know what? Like I said, he hired the guys from the fire Festival, so mm-hmm. I guess they just got fired. No sandwiches, no tents. No tents, no delegates either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found this one pretty funny. We got this from a uh, user feedback from the website, and I forgot to put the attribution in. So if you sent this in, thank you very much. Australian paper prints blank pages to help tackle toilet paper shortage. Jeez. That better be a nice soft paper. Hey man, <laughs> any any hey. port in a storm is what. Any you're about port in a storm, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> yes, in a bid to tackle the shortage, the NT News provided a practical, if unconventional, solution. Ooh. Australians living in the Northern Territories would have noticed on Thursday that eight pages in the paper had been left bare, except for watermarks and a cutout guide edition. So, uh, yeah, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Run out of paper? The NT News cares. <laughs> the newspaper <laughs> You know. Have you, I, have you noticed that uh, the toilet paper is flying off the shelves? No. I've noticed a gazillion stories about it, but I went to a number of stores this week. I, uh, granted, I didn't go to like a Target or something like that, but I, I, I went to Whole Foods. I went to a Trader Joe's and I went to a Ralph's and uh, paper, I, at least here in Santa Monica, is, is in stock and fine. No big yeah, deal. Uh, here in the Valley, uh, there's almost no toilet paper left in the Ralphs, and hand sanitizer is gone. <laughs> gone, daddy, gone. You can't get any of it. You know, they should have read the articles that say hand, ta- hand sanitizer does fuck all. <laughs> well, <laughs> but let's. this will lead in nicely to your next story, because I've read num- numerous articles saying that uh, hand sanitizer does indeed kill the coronavirus so who the hell knows yeah well <laughs> and yeah and also this this puts a nice button in the facebook story that we just read about the study there and in the, in the jesus fuck again news an egg a day may be fine for you after all a new study says oh yeah, of I'm course not gonna read, i'm not gonna read i'm not gonna read the article but i'm gonna read the the <laughs> the introduction to the article. Mm-hmm. It's health's longest ping pong game. Eggs are bad, then good, then bad for your heart. <laughs> uh, look, we're all going to die, and a life without French omelets is one that I don't want to live. So go die in a fire and stop wasting my time. Yeah, you know, someday we'll get the definitive word. <laughs> but we'll be dead already. That's true. From, from eggs. eggs or not. <laughs> And uh, because this is everywhere and uh, we just can't wait uh, for media candy, uh, and I'm surprised that you did not know this, Jason. I surprised you before we went on the air with this. The Kids in the Hall have reunited and will have a new show on Amazon. How fucking awesome is that? <laughs> How um, much does my head weigh? Boot to the head was one of the a staple from, uh, from uh, God, what was the name of that guy that did the radio show that broke Weird Al? Dr. Demento. Oh, Dr. Demento. Dr. Demento. A staple from my childhood, Boot to the Head. Boot so, to the Head, but, but Kids in the Hall didn't do Boot to the Head. Yes, they did. They did? Yes. You gotta be kidding me. Google That's, it right now. I'm 100% uh, I, sure. I'm 99% sure. Let me hedge my bets. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that song backwards and forwards. It's and good. I it's did Kids not in the know. Hall. Uh, Phoenix Wright, The Frantics. Uh, let's see here. Boot to the Head, Wikipedia. Comedy Troupe. 
Nope, it's from the Frantics. Sorry. Damn. Well, my Sorry. entire childhood. My entire yeah. childhood was a lie. I'm telling you, fake <laughs> fake boots is what well, you got. Fake boots. But... All right, fair enough. I always thought that was kids in the hall, so my, nope, I'm glad I 99 percent uh, hedged my bets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But here, you know, you get you get extra credit because they are actually from Canada. Okay, close enough. They're all the same, right? <laughs> Pretty much. And uh, just because I also can't wait. My God, what heaven! was on TV last night. Oh, I think you might be talking about Picard. It was beautiful. Troy, oh. Picard, and Riker together again. A bit of a sad story for what's happened with uh, Troy and Riker, but uh, yeah, they seem to be weathering the storm rather well and are in love. Wow, wonderful. Totally retconning the whole wharf thing, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I gotta say, though, that the actress that they had to play her daughter was phenomenal. Oh, I know. That was really, really well done. The whole episode was just beautiful, and I'm so glad that they put that in there for us. I, I wouldn't say it's fan service, because it really did service the story, but uh, yeah. it did both. It was wonderful. And I loved, I loved how number one just kicked him in the balls, <laughs> like, back it, <laughs> backwards and forwards. He's just like... It, it, and he did the whole Sherlock Holmes thing when he was making the pizza. Oh, that was great. I loved it. That was I absolutely fantastic. It. Yeah, Picard really did get his ass handed to him by number one. <laughs> oh, it was so good. So it, I don't think we put any spoilers in there. But uh, yeah, man, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. It was phenomenal. Yes. And just a quick note. Thank God. It appears we get seven of nine back in next episode, too. Yes. <laughs> in the news... Okay, well, I had this in here that Microsoft has uh, shut down their campus until March 25th, and uh, turns out basically everybody has at this point Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, and a slew of others because, you know, the coronavirus apparently is a thing. Yeah, the news is actually coming out way too fast for this for us to keep up. I know I've got a story yeah. coming up that's out of date now, but <laughs> yeah, so it's on. I got the official email from a friend of the show who did not send this to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know who you are. Thanks. Thanks very much. But yeah, and uh, Google has canceled its uh, IO developer conference, which was we had here in, in here. And now I go and look at ZDNet and we've got Adobe Summit has been uh, moved. Uh, Aruba Networks, Atlassian, Black Hat, Asia, Cisco Live, Cisco Live, Melbourne, Dell World. There, the list goes on and on and on. Facebook F8. Uh, everybody is basically saying, uh, oh, the Game Developers Conference. Uh, yeah, everybody's shutting down, you know, and and James Bond shut down. Did you hear that? <laughs> well, that yeah, of course, they they uh, want their box office <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're not going to get their box office if they release right at the period of time when nobody wants to leave their house. Exactly. So they're not going to do that. The weird thing is South by Southwest has not announced that they're uh, going to cancel yet. So I've, I've seen numerous people, uh, including Tim Ferriss, who said that he's decided to cancel his appearance. Um, but uh, as far as I know, South by Southwest is still a go. Um, my wife was scheduled to go to that for work, but she's decided not to. Not that she's mm -hmm. worried about getting the coronavirus. The real fear is somebody else does and you get stuck in quarantine for two weeks yeah definitely so Ooh, that's, that's, a, that's really smart yeah. well that's why my wife decided not to go she's like i i'm you know i can't be stuck there for two weeks whatever you know we've got a kid like that's yeah. that's not going to work so she decided not to go and actually her her company has basically said we're not we're not telling you not to go but we're telling you it'd be a good idea not to go <laughs> yeah that's good that's good um yeah i mean 
What was the I saw a thing over on Business Insider yesterday where the, the some Australian group came out saying that 15 million people are probably going to die from this and it'll be like two point four trillion dollars to the global economy mm. as a as a fallout. But as we've talked about so far, how many studies have come true that we talk? <laughs> like, can you believe a goddamn thing anymore? But look, I mean, this thing could go pear shaped. It could get really bad. Um I'm not terribly heartened by our government's response thus far. We seem to be repeating a lot of the same mistakes that China did. Uh, but if everybody is out there is smart about this and, you know, weather the storm, wash your hands. If you, The only people really at risk are people with uh, issues with their immune systems and the elderly right now. And, of course, young, young kids. But uh, it's uh, there's a little bit too much panic going on for my taste, uh, considering what it actually is. There is a lot of panic going on, but I got to tell you, here in the state of California, they are like locking down all of the senior care centers. My neighbor works at a senior care center. He's like a, an orderly there, and mm -hmm. uh, the state visited his place, and he's only got eight patients at his you know care facility. And the state came out and was just like gave them marching orders for everything they have to do, and they mm -hmm. followed up the next day. They are taking this very seriously in California for elder care because good. those are, you know, good. yeah, which is what they should. Yeah. So that's really that, at least that's a good thing to see is that they really kind of care about the seniors. Don't don't give a shit about us. But, <laughs> well, um, we're, you know, we're gonna for the most part, even if we get the virus, and there are some people out there some that have done studies that say we probably already have it. This thing has been kicking around for a while. Um, yeah, it's, exactly. it's a flu for the most case. Like that's it. Um, you know, so we'll see. Anyways. How much is it really going to change our lives? I'm, I'm skipping ahead a story here because this is uh, the one that should be next because of what we're talking about. I read this awesome article over at The Atlantic called, You Already Live in Quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> well, me especially. Especially you. So, yes. Uh, what would people do if stuck inside all day? The answer is far more familiar than the fearful conjecture for bodes. Many Americans would do the same thing they do now, mostly. <laughs> Uh, Netflix has already fused us to our couches for years. Contemporary society has been bracing and even longing for quarantine. See, so, I'm ahead of the curve. I'm telling <laughs> you, you I'm always ahead of the curve. Yes. Yeah, so this article came out a little bit before Microsoft announced their news, but Twitter had banned non-critical business travel for its workers and strongly encouraged all its employees to work from home if they could. Amazon introduced restrictions on company visitors after two employees in Europe contracted the virus. Large trade shows and conferences, as we've been discussing, have started pulling the plug, among them Facebook annual event for its platform developers. In a way, this article states, quarantine is just a raw, surprising name for the condition that computer technologies have brought about over the last two decades, making almost everything possible from the quiet isolation of a desk or chair illuminated by an internet-connected <laughs> laptop or tablet, a.k.a. Jason's life. <laughs> yeah, by design, by absolute design. That's and uh, I, I, as yeah. I was reading this, I was thinking of you. So a laptop and an internet connection are sufficient. Then when it's time for a break, DoorDash or Grubhub hastens lunch to the work desk, helping you avoid the coughs and foreign doorknobs of eating out. Later, Instacart or Amazon Prime now drops groceries door at your door. TaskRabbit lets you schedule assistance with errands, and WashIo will pick up and deliver your laundry. Nowadays, doing something for real with your own body sometimes feels stranger than summoning it by a smartphone. Smartphone. <laughs> well, I don't do 90% of that stuff. Uh, I, I'm not going to go to Washio or TaskRabbit for things like that. Because, you know, if an infected person brings your food and coughs all over it, you still got the you still Yes, got the I was virus. thinking that as well. But it's still you know, that, they, <laughs> that's a big flaw in everybody's thinking. It's just like, oh, I'll just have it delivered. Oh, you're just going to... Who's delivering it? People. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Remember, Who's AI is people. 
And who's cooking the food, people? Yeah, yes. so I stock up on ingredients and make sure everything's clean. Come on, don't be an idiot. But yeah, uh, here's the here's the real issue. If the repairman can't go out and fix the lines when the internet goes down, then we're going to have Armageddon. If we don't, if we lose the internet, then it's really going to be a shitstorm. You're going to see panic in the streets, and then we are really at the purge. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And it says at the very end of the article, never before in human history has it been so easy to do so much without going anywhere cinema box office receipts fell sharply in 2019 take that james bond as streaming <laughs> entertainment becomes more plentiful and high quality apps and games and podcasts and digitally delivered matter of all kinds have followed suit absolutely drowning in it now the last thing anyone might worry about is getting bored at home yeah no doubt <laughs> i mean i can sit here well here's the thing if i don't have all i need is water for like two months and I'm fine. I can live off my own body for at least two months. I, I'm, I have prepped. These aren't man boobs. They're prep boobs. So. Got fat for the purge. Exactly. I'll be last man standing, damn it. That's why I always laugh at these fuckers who go on Survivor and they show up skinny with a six pack. I'm like, you're not going to make it, dude. You're not gonna. The guy who shows up chubby and is just hanging out, he's like, I prepared for this. Yes. Like, look yes. at Boston Rob in the new uh, in season four of survivor he showed up chubby uh-huh he's smart he's played this before he's won twice i love survivor i'm sorry never I'm watched a, an I'm episode a, i'm a super fan i've seen every season <laughs> since it, I, from the day it started i've seen every season i am a survivor super fan and uh, i am not ashamed to say that damn it well on the flip side of this ode to joy to staying at home and having all your needs met by never leaving the house the wall street journal also had an article this week that i thought was very disturbing the lonely burden of today's teenage girls young americans have become unwitting guinea pigs in today's huge unplanned experiment with social media and teenage girls are bearing much of the brunt in conversation after conversation adolescent girls describe themselves as particularly vulnerable to the banes of our increasingly digital culture with many of them struggling to manage the constant connectedness of social media, their rising levels of anxiety, and the intense emotions that have always been central to adolescence. So they did a, the Wall Street Journal did a big article about this. And over the past 18 months, they conducted interviews and focus groups with around 100 American girls aged 12 to 19 and their mothers, most of them from Midwestern and the middle class. They also interviewed teachers and therapists around the country. And uh, there's some dis disturbing results as far as I'm concerned, girls today aren't as self-sufficient as their counterparts in earlier decades. They are less likely to possess driver's licenses, work outside the home, or date. They are also more solitary. So since the dawn of the smartphone era, girls have dramatically decreased the amount of time they spend shopping, seeing friends, or going to movies. Uh, just like we were talking about earlier, they spend their Saturday nights at home alone watching Netflix and surfing social media. 95% uh, of American teenagers have access to smartphones. Um, contemporary teens spend six to nine hours a day online. Jesus. And that 72% of teens felt manipulated by tech companies into remaining constantly connected, but were unable to do anything about it. Wow. So um, let's see. Because of the omnipresent smartphones, girls can call or text their parents to ask for what's for dinner or request a ride home. Many girls are rarely out in the world alone, solving problems by themselves. When they do eventually. <laughs> okay, so here, here's, what, here, here's what I'm taking away from this. Mm -hmm. When the coronavirus hits, it, all we're going to have left are nerds who know how to live inside <laughs> and a bunch of teenage girls who have no idea how to actually get shit done. Exactly. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So, and the, it goes on. When girls do eventually leave home, they often find themselves ill-prepared to navigate real life. 
Uh, the American College Health Association reported that 31% of female freshmen said they experienced overwhelming anxiety or panic attacks. By 2016, that had shot up to 62%. Jesus. Uh, the American Association of Pediatrics now warns that too much social media use can lead to depression and anxiety. No shit. Yeah. Social media works against basic developmental goals, physical, cognitive, relational, sexual, and maturational. How lucky are we to be the last generation that grew up without this stuff, Jason? It really screws you up yeah. when you're a kid. This is what we're really starting to yeah. learn. Girls are sleeping with their phones and react to every notification. As they create more interesting, supposedly happier virtual personas for themselves, their real selves diminish. Girls collect likes instead of making friends. They can be devastated by a cruel text or a tepid reaction to a selfie. Long before they hold hands with a date, they are exposed to online pornography and mis misogynist messages. So... Yeah, this is not um, uh, not a good survey here. <laughs> no, and, uh, the, talk the, about the, the really the, unintended consequences. <laughs> well, the really disturbing thing about this is the girls are aware of it. Many of the girls we, they interviewed articulated many of social media's drawbacks, even as they declared that they can't live without it. So they know it's bad. They can't stop. After an evening online, I go to bed feeling unhappy. Izzy, who is 13, told us, I wonder what did I do all day long? Then I wake up and do the same things the next day. Man, that's that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I, I mean, this is really striking. I mean, I don't have a girl. I have a boy. But I... I you know, when I read these articles, I, I've really got to start planning and thinking about how I'm gonna how I'm gonna manage my kids' digital life moving forward. Because um, this yeah, does not seem good. No, that's that's really that's it's sad. Mm. I mean, it's really fucking sad. Yeah. So I, my next story was kind of a good thing about YouTube, but I almost feel like not doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Come on, do might it. as well. Okay, so moving away from that, something uh, apparently good is happening over at YouTube. Their tweaks to recommend fewer conspiracy videos do seem to be working. So the recommendation engine, which we've worried about, and I, I see an action on a day to day basis now. My kid, I, I let him watch a little bit of YouTube now as as basically a reward for doing other things. <laughs> Your kid's first word is chemtrails. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not quite that bad, but you know, because he's still. In general, he finds things that, that we like him to watch. And and I do – one of the things that I'm already doing now is every night before I go to bed, I fire up uh, the YouTube history and I start deleting things that he watched that I don't want him to see so it doesn't show up in his recommendations anymore. Um, oh you know, what but I world. do see – I, this, I know this is the world we're living in now, Jason. <laughs> That's fucked up, man. Like I'll let him. He'll he'll start with stuff that I want him to watch, like Blippy or Peppa Pig or whatever. But then the recommendation engine will throw up these. And who the fuck are these people that are making these videos? They're they're usually Russian. Uh, you know, where instead of it being an actual Peppa Pig video, it's it's a human moving around a Peppa Pig character and and making the voices. And they're weird. And they're disturbing. And as soon as I see them pop up, I always I always tell Lucas, bad video, bad video. And he goes and finds another one. Um, but that's <laughs> what the recommendations throw up. So and they were doing that. Obviously, he's I've got a kid's account that he's using. So he doesn't get a lot of this weird um, conspiracy stuff. But that's more for the adults. So after facing public backlash, YouTube promised to curb the amount of conspiracy videos it pushes to users. And there was a study by the University of California, Berkeley, that states that these efforts do seem to be working, and their analysis show a 40% reduction in the likelihood of YouTube suggesting conspiracy-based content now. However, 
The study did not use an actual user account during the analysis, so it was not, nobody was signed in. It was all viewed as a logged out state, and this may have a major impact on results, as watch history is an important factor in how YouTube determines which videos suggested to a logged in user. So if you're logged in, could be different because you might look at this stuff or have inadvertently clicked on it a million times like my son does with disturbing videos so <laughs> how about youtube just stops letting fucking conspiracy theorists well there's videos? that but the problem is uh, the judgment over what constitutes <laughs> a harmful conspiracy right. <laughs> well exactly because things such as mk ultra and project sunshine which started as basically conspiracy theories online turned out to be true yeah, so, I guess. there is stuff yeah, like but, that. And then there's also, you know, there's there's the whole fair use and there's the whole parody aspect of things. But I mean, it, you know, 9-11 was an inside job is not a not a parody. No, it's of course, fucking it's fucking cuckoo. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. So they're, they're doing something. It seems to be working, maybe. OK, well, there's that. Yay. This episode is brought to you by Delete Me. Today, I want to share something personal and honestly a bit alarming. Now, on this show, we talk a lot about how much of our personal info is out there. We're talking about home addresses, contact details, and even information about your family. And if you've ever felt that uneasy feeling about your privacy, you're not alone. That's why I want to tell you about Delete Me. It's a game changer for protecting your personal information. As someone who's been through the ringer with spam calls and phishing attempts, finding Delete Me felt like a breath of fresh air. Could your potential views expose you to cybercrimes, identity theft, or even violence in this election year? The amount of personal data available online has tripled from 2019 to 2023. Angry individuals motivated by their political beliefs can now easily access personal details from data brokers for 98 percent of U.S. citizens, putting you at risk of harassment and identity theft. Fortunately, you can safeguard your data with Delete Me. Delete Me scours the internet, finding and removing you and your family's personal data from hundreds of data broker websites. And they don't just do it once, they monitor your information to ensure that it stays private. I signed up and provided the specifics on what I wanted to go, and the team at Delete Me took it from there. They keep me in the loop with regular updates, showing exactly where my info was popping up and confirming when it was removed. Seeing how dedicated they are to protecting my privacy is a relief. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now available at a special discount for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash G-O-G and use promo code G-O-G at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash G-O-G and enter code G-O-G at checkout. One more time, that's J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash G-O-G with code G-O-G at checkout. This episode is sponsored by Mood. 420 celebrations come in all shapes and sizes, just like the many ways to enjoy your THC. Mood offers just the right buzz with their federally legal flower, gummies, vapes, and more, helping you find the perfect high. Mood is offering our listeners a free THCA pre-roll and 20% off your first order. Just head over to hellomood.com and use our exclusive code GOG. 
Mood's latest introduction, the THCA flower, is a game-changer, offering the classic cannabis high with a twist. With 10 high-inducing strains, it's their most potent lineup yet. What's even better is that all Mood products are extracted from hemp, making them federally legal, and are regularly tested to ensure the highest quality. Sourced from small family farms, you're getting a product that's effective and pesticide-free. I tried several of their products from the uplifting Energized to the Mellow Chill, and I must say, each provided a unique, enjoyable high. My favorite? Definitely the creative strain. It sparked an incredible flow of ideas and got me through my daily projects with ease. Whether you're new to THC or a seasoned aficionado, Mood has something for every vibe. Their in-house experts have tailored different strains to match specific moods, offering a range of products to suit any preference. From delectable gummies to classic flower and convenient pre-rolls, there's a multitude of ways to enjoy Mood's offerings. Celebrate 420 exactly how you want to with Mood. Get 20% off your first order plus a free THCA pre-roll at hellomood.com with promo code GOG. That's hellomood.com. Code GOG. Security? Ha! The gang's all back again. We're joined by Dave Bittner. Dave is the host of the Cyberwire podcast. Dave is also the co-host of the social engineering podcast Hacking Humans with Joe Kerrigan, as well as the co-host of Caveat with Ben Yellen, where they discuss law and policy, as well as surveillance and privacy. Dave, welcome back. And how was RSA? Thank you. It's good to be back. I, I will tell you, gentlemen, I am in a really good mood today. Okay. Just, I just, I, that's all I can say. I'm in a good mood today. We're going to work feel, to ruin that. I Don't feel, you worry. I, <laughs> I, feel, I feel great. I feel energized. I feel, I don't know why. I shouldn't feel this way because all the stuff that's going on in the world around us, but every now and then you wake up and you just feel like, you feel great. And that's how I feel today. So, Go ahead and ruin it for me. Jason, remind, <laughs> remind me to send him that Wall Street Journal article we discussed in the news. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. is, is euphoria a precursor of coronavirus? Because you know, you're uh, could around be, a bunch of could people. Be. That's true. That's true. Could be. No, just so, feeling good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. I, I so, wanted, first thing first, I, before you tell me about RSA, what was the microphone you were using? Because you guys sounded great. Oh, thank you. Um, that was uh, a headset mic from Audio Technica. I have a link here in the show notes for you. It is uh, it's a broadcast microphone, so it's more set up for folks who are doing sports, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a link there if you want to check out some of the details on it. But uh, yeah, it's a nice quality mic. Really good rejection of stuff around you while still getting a little bit of that environmental sound. So you you sound like you are where you are. But uh, I was really pleased. It's uh just took that directly into the Zoom H6 and then sent that back to the mothership and um, Elliot did his magic to the files and made us sound good. Yeah, and for the people who love to hear our Amazon titles, it's the Audio-Technica BPHS-1 Broadcast Stereo Headset with Dynamic Cardioid Boom Mic. And those yep. run about 200 bucks a pop, which is not yep. bad for what you got out of that. That is really no. good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I've had those for a few years now. And uh, they have not let me down. I've been really happy with them. Cool, cool. So tell us about RSA. Uh, RSA was great this year. I I have to say uh, we all agreed from our CyberWire team that we had our best RSA ever. And it was a combination of things. Um, We had our own booth in Broadcast Alley. 
and Broadcast Alley is over in Moscone West. Uh, it's right next to one of the big um, uh, keynote halls, and we were at the end of the road there. So it was it just gave us a home base where people could come to us. I spent most of my time there. Um, I was impossibly overscheduled, but that was fine. That's <laughs> that's what that's what RSA is. Um, so people could come to us. We did interviews there. Um, I recorded all of our regular daily CyberWire stuff there. It was nice because in years past, I would run back to my hotel room and record my scripts from there. I would run back to my hotel room and do editing there. And now I'm not doing editing anymore since um, Elliot, our editor, takes care of that. So I would just record the files and I'd upload them to a Google Drive and he'd grab them and do the edits. It was uh, a lot of fun. My so, kingdom for an editor. My kingdom for an editor. It is so decadent, let me tell you. It is so decadent. <laughs> Except that's how I make my living, so I guess that well, you, you yeah, are the, the editor. Yes. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I had a great time. Um, met a lot of really interesting people. Uh, met Penn and Teller. That was fun. I got to say, there. I was listening to your interview with Penn and Teller, and Teller didn't speak, so I... For all I can tell, you just met Penn. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you listen to the extended version on Hacking Humans, Teller does say a few words. But okay. I would say the um, the ratio of Penn to Teller is about what you would expect from Penn and Teller, which is that when you ask a question, Penn jumps in and, and pretty much dominates the conversation. But Teller did have a few interesting things to say. Um, but it was really nice. They, you know, they were there, and well, it was pretty much a, a corporate gig for them, coming in, being hired by RSA to come in, do a special, customized version of their their shtick. Um, but uh, we knew they were coming, so we asked if they'd be willing to do an interview, and their folks said yes. And so we met them backstage right before they went on. They gave us about twenty minutes. Wow! And they were nice. they were um, yeah. I mean, they were delightful. They uh, it took a little a couple minutes to warm up because I think they were walking into a situation they didn't know who I was, and you know they had no idea what to expect from me. But once we got going and it really turned into a conversation, I felt good about it. And they were they were uh, very gracious with their time. So that was a really neat experience. Been a bit fan of theirs for a long time. Yeah, I've done uh, interviews with Penn before, and he is a really nice guy. He's definitely yep. gracious. And uh, I have to say, when he had the slammer, we had him on video doing an interview one time. He had a urinal uh -huh. in his office, and I'm like, that, my friend, is how you are a baller. <laughs> you don't have to leave your <laughs> office to take a whiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember seeing a, a tour of the Slammer once, and he was, they were up in his bedroom, and he goes into the side room, and there's a, like a swing in there, and he says, this room is for sex. And then they just <laughs> they just moved on from there. <laughs> just, okay, great. Awesome. Um, who else did I meet? I met um, Admiral James Stavridis. He nice is the guy. Yeah. former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Delightful gentleman. Delightful Isn't gentleman. He? Yeah, yeah just, you wouldn't think so. Being a supreme allied commander, right. <laughs> you'd think that he would be kind of stern, but he's a super nice guy. He's a super nice guy um, and uh, told him about my father having been in the Navy, and so we, we had a nice chat about that. Um, uh, who else did I meet? I met a gentleman named Elvis Chan, which is a just great name. Uh, and turns out he's the top election security guy at the FBI. And, of course, when I spoke to him, it was a few days before Super Tuesday. So they were really, uh, you know, had their fingers crossed that all the hard work they'd been putting in to prep everything for Super Tuesday was going to go well. And it did. Uh, so that was interesting. 
Um, what else? Uh, there was hand sanitizer every few feet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> people were bumping elbows and, and fist bumping instead of shaking hands. How are you mandeling it? <laughs> yeah, I, I did hear folks say it was a lighter crowd than usual, and there were a few vendors who didn't show up, some big ones. Um, but overall, I, I think it went very well. I, I had a good time. Again, just impossibly overscheduled, but you go in knowing that and just sort of roll with it that it's going to be that kind of a week. Uh, but I felt really good about coming out of it. felt like I got a lot of really interesting interviews, met a lot of really nice people who I've been looking forward to meeting. So, yeah, this is a good week. Cool. And we've talked about RSA in the past with you. And, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, I think everything was AI. And yeah. that was going to be the future of cybersecurity. How has that panned out? Well, uh, <laughs> AI is still part of everything. Uh, it's still, I would say AI has shifted to be a feature checkbox. Right. <laughs> in fact, um, someone that I was speaking with, I think it was David DeFore from Webroot was saying they had done some research where um, folks who are shopping around still, they want to know that your product has AI. They don't uh, really care what, what it, does it does or how it's used. <laughs> they just want to know that you have it. And that's important to them. I would like some um, AI with a sprinkle of blockchain, please. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Blockchain, blockchain. Um, so... Uh, this year, the theme of the conference was the human element, which was ironic given that there's a virus going around <laughs> and people were actually not wanting to be around other humans. But um, I think that's a big shift uh, to where we are these days where the technical tools have gotten so good that the bad guys have shifted to coming at the humans through phishing and those sorts of things. Right. Um, so there was Cyber a big focus on that. People, mm-hmm. yep, <laughs> all the way down, all the way down. So yeah, I, I would have had more questions about this, but I I misread RSA as RZA, so I kind of studied up on the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> so fair enough. I, I have to say, my favorite interview you did this week though was with uh, the woman from the State Department. Yeah, uh, Liesel Franz. Yep, she was awesome, yep. wasn't she? Yeah, she was really great. Yeah. Yeah, it makes yeah, me I mean, wish there to... were more people at the State Department. <laughs> Be nice. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I did not bring that up with her because I didn't want to bring up a sore subject. And she was uh, just such a great guest, and I learned so much from her. Um, but the, the for what I've heard from other people I know at the State Department, what a what a ghost town that place is, how hollowed out many parts of the State Department have become. Uh, but it really seems like the cyber team there are still in there fighting the good fight and uh, doing the things they do. But, yeah, to hear the law and policy side of it from her, that was a real treat to get to talk to her for sure. It's interesting. I was listening to uh, Ronan Farrow on a podcast mm-hmm. the other day, and I did not know he actually wrote a book on the gutting of the State Department that I'm, I'm planning on picking up. Huh. Yeah. This was, this was his first book before he got into Weinstein verse. Interesting. And yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to check this out. This guy, I was, I was really kind of on the fence about him until I listened to this interview. I'll, I'll try and track it down and put it in the show notes. But uh, hmm. yeah, his first book is basically about the State Department and how it just got screwed. I think it's called uh, 
Uh, which one is this one? Uh, I think it's, it's not war, in, war on Peace, The End of Diplomacy and the Decline of American Influence. I think that hmm. might be it. Uh, I but, may have read uh, an excerpt from that. I, I remember reading a story about uh, um, you know, folks at the State Department were just hang, hanging out in the lunchroom killing time because nobody had anything to do. The, it, was, it was in shambles. The 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 um the, there were there was no chain of command anymore and right. so the, yeah. the regular the the career employees uh weren't sure what they were supposed to be doing with their time and the political appointees didn't really know what to do because they were not <laughs> yeah. people who were appointed for any reason other than um favoritism i suppose yeah, you mentioned that on the show before i i, I specifically remember you mentioning them hanging out in the lunchroom <laughs> yeah yeah um, the other other fun or well, fun I don't know interesting thing that happened to me for the first time was uh, someone recognized me in the men's room. Ooh, uh, so, fancy pants! Were you in yeah. or out of your furry suit at the time? Uh, well, <laughs> I guess you I would be partially there, out. <laughs> standing, yeah, exactly. I was, my eyes are up here, pal. My eyes are up here. Uh, no, I was in the men's room doing my business, standing in line, uh, standing in line, uh, in a, a you know line with people on either side of me. And when I heard someone say, hey, are, are you Dave from the CyberWire? <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. I said, do uh, you mind if we step outside of my office and continue this conversation? <laughs> so Excellent. that was fun. Very yep, cool. Yep, yep. Well, yep. we're glad good to show. have you back. We're glad. To I'm glad. It's good to be back. Good to be back. So before we jump into our stories this week, uh, I wanted to just sort of add on to – I know you guys mentioned this story about Facebook earlier, earlier in the show. I saw that in the show notes and I just wanted to echo basically everything in that article about anxiety and stress and all those sorts of things, echo my own experience. Uh, in fact, within the past couple of days, I was chatting with someone and they asked, are you planning on going back to Facebook? And I said, no, probably not. I, I, I really don't miss it. And I do feel better off for not being on it. I feel like I'm happier. So. Excellent. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I get it. I, I just, my argument with that, with that entire art article is it shouldn't be focused on just Facebook. I think it's any social media. Mm -hmm. But uh, I know you guys feel differently about the Twitter. Well, I, you know, I don't even know if it, maybe it's just cutting down on it. Yeah. I mean, any, you know, any removing yourself from one is obviously going to cut you down because you were doing all of them. So it's right. less time, uh, less gross time, as it were. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I spend five minutes on Twitter a day. I scroll through. I see what links people posted. I check them out if they look good. And then I add them to the show notes. That is my that is the, my main crux of Twitter at this point. Mm -hmm. So Right. Yeah, I'd find for whatever reason I, I don't get as revved up as I do with things on Twitter as I did with things on Facebook. I I don't know if it's just the different uh, variety of people or the way the conversations are threaded, but I, I tend to I just don't get as uh, I don't know I don't suffer righteous indignation the way that I did on Facebook. <laughs> they have curation tools. That's why. That's probably a big part of it. Yeah, I, think I also right. think a, a big part of it is you don't see full call conversations as readily and easily as you do on Facebook. So if you see something that that potentially upsets you, that 140 characters is gone pretty quickly, and you're on to the next one, as opposed to on Facebook, where if you see something that upsets you, you're seeing top comments, which will probably incite you even more, and then you get sucked right. in. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's. I think that's plausible. Absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, guys, let's talk about some news. I saw okay. this one over at Motherboard. This small company is turning Utah into a surveillance panopticon, and this is a company mm-hmm. called Banjo, which I remember from the social media world, speaking of social media, not too long ago. And uh, they have basically pivoted yeah. to being <laughs> being uh, just this entire uh, – what, what's uh, the evil geniuses company? Um it begins oh, with a P. Um, I'm lo- I'm, I'm can't yeah. believe I'm dropping the name. Uh, I can't remember right well, now. Which either. evil genius? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many evil geniuses. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about Palantir. I'm there talking about go. Palantir. Ah, okay. So mm-hmm. they're basically trying to do a live version of Palantir. And the, there are some things in this article and what the company says that kind of got my dander up a bit. Hmm. <laughs> So they're tracking literally thousands of cameras, 911 calls, uh, just all this real-time data coming from the state itself. And the state has given them access, free access to all of this stuff, all the CCTV, all the traffic cameras, audio sensors for gunshots and things like that. So Banjo is getting $20 million from the state of Utah to basically monitor everything from, you know, all these different audio signals and, and cameras and CCTV cameras, traffic cameras and 911 calls. And hmm. they are basically building the minority report of the future. <laughs> and I, I just, I, you know, what really got me about this story is, of course, the CEO and his ZZ Top beard. But, you know, mm. that's just that that's easy pickings. I'm not even going to go there. But. <laughs> well, it's your ability to instantaneously judge anyone by how they look. Right, Jason? It's, I mean, that's that's proved flawless to you throughout your life. So, of course. We, we... <laughs> but I have to say in the picture in the top of the motherboard article, the jacket that he's wearing, I yes. want today. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a digital camouflage suit coat on, and uh-huh. I want that jacket. That thing is badass. All right. Fair enough. I guess Fair if I had enough. $20 million in the bank from the state of Utah, I could probably <laughs> afford one. I'm guessing that's bespoke. But what do you guys think about this, that the entire state has handed over all of this control to a private company who says that, of course, everything is anonymized and they're not actually sp- picking out specific people. They're picking out specific event horizons in the data stream, of course, mm-hmm. using AI. Well, you remember we have talked on this show in the past couple of years about someone had a technology that was able to look at the security cameras from multiple convenience stores simultaneously. And it would use some type of automation to flag when it thought something bad was happening in a convenience store and then put that in front of a human being. Right. Gun recognition was what it was. Right, right. So that, or even just aggressive, you know, someone moving really quickly or something like that. So that was taking that first level of filtering out of the hands of people, but then saying, hey, person, we think there's something here you might, uh, might require your attention. This reminded me of that on steroids. Yeah, it's it's kind of the exactly the same thing. It really mm-hmm. is. It's just with way more data points. Right. Way mm-hmm. more data points. I'm curious why do they need access to the 911 callers? If you call 911, you're already in touch with the police. What are they trying to get what what do they get out of that? Probably to prevent false positives. Maybe. Or maybe looking for patterns. Patterns, like if they hear gunshots in, in an area, so you can take the audio signals from the gunshots, marry that to a 911 call in that area, and then you know increase the probability of 
this possibly being a criminal event, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm just guessing on that one, yeah. but I think that, yeah. you know, the more signal that you have, I guess the better the algorithms will be is what everybody says, but yeah, I suppose you know, more data points. Yeah. That, how's that working out for SETI at home? Uh. Oh, wait, it's not. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, I, what's yeah, the I, oversight here, right? Who's, who's watching the watchman? No one. No, they're mm-hmm. just they're giving them, you know, things that should be of interest to them, giving law enforcement points of interest that they should look at. Now, my my obvious complaint is what if they're giving them false positives and the law enforcement is taking their time going after the the ghosts in the machine and not responding to calls that really need to be acted upon? That's what worries me. Mm hmm. You know, somebody well, gets a domestic uh, violence 911 call, but they say, oh, there's a shooting over here. You should go to the shooting first and get to the domestic violence later. But there was no shooting. And then in, in the meantime, this guy kills his wife. Yeah. And who is verifying that the algorithms that Banjo is using aren't horribly biased in one direction or another? As so many of yep. them are already. Right. As we know. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's it's just weird because we've seen so many cities and states try to shut this stuff down, but Utah is just uh, saying, "Hold my beer, <laughs> hold my beer, hold, hold my three point two percent alcohol at most beer." Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not a fan of this. I, I I would not be thrilled if if California adopted this. Um, you know, it's it, I I don't want the world to go this way, but it seems to be heading that way. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully the thing is that they'll maybe fail because they've said that, you know, this has actually worked in the field. But, you know, the state of Utah has not come back with any actual cases that it's been used on, even though they say, yeah, yeah, we used it, but we can't right. prove it. We don't <clears throat> know which cases it's been used on because mm-hmm. I bet I bet that the defense lawyers would have a field day if they found out that this system was used in, in arresting their client. An untested hmm. system by a third party that hasn't been vetted properly by anyone else. Oh <laughs> well, un- man! Un- Better call Saul. <laughs> unfortunately, that's probably the way that it's going to have to play out. We're not going to see these kind of programs being shut down or 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 ignored until until we have a big lawsuit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the way our world seems to work. I, there are some basic things that I could see this being very good for. For example, a car going the wrong way down a highway. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That, if a computer can detect that and flag that and bring that to someone's attention, it's hard for me to see the downside in that. Amber alert uh, tracking? Amber alert tracking, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. No. Because here in California, we just get a sign on the freeway that says, look out for license plate, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We, That's what, yeah, we do too. Yep. We yep. we actually had a really good one last week. I don't know if you saw this one, Brian. You might have been in Arizona, but someone stole a hearse from a funeral home <laughs> with a body in the back. Uh, and, as you do. And it, it got on the news and, and they flashed the license plate like L.A. County Sheriff is like, do the right thing and return the body, you know, <laughs> and and the citizenry jumped in and they got the guy and they tracked him down and he got in a, unfortunately, a head on collision with another car on the freeway. I think I think the other people were OK, but I don't quote me on that one. But they, they ended up getting him. And the body back because they did a basically, hey, this guy stole a dead person. Imagine how you would feel if your dead mom was in the back of that hearse. Like this is the L.A. County Sheriff's coming out and saying this on every <laughs> channel in Los Angeles. And boom, some somebody reported him. It's like, yep, he's over there. <laughs> the guy made a run for it. It was great. Right. right. 
Yeah. That's our national sport in Los Angeles is watching <laughs> high-speed chases high speed on chases. TV. Mm-hmm. I understand. It's quite I popular. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll see how this one plays out. I, I think we're all correct in feeling uneasy about it. Uh, I guess I'm happy that it's over there and not here. Uh, yeah. You know, let let another state be the test bed for this uh, rather than my own. But yeah, as long as it's not me. Yep. Well, yeah, I hate to feel that way, but uh, yeah. Well, I we'll ran see. across uh, an article this week that I think I wish I would I wish I had handed it to you when you were talking to Elvis Chan because I'd like to have heard his thoughts on this. Um, mm-hmm. This is the lack of oversight of the private companies that are basically in charge of all of our voting technologies. So uh, I this is one of those things that I knew in my heart was true, but didn't really want to believe it until I read it in the plain black and white. Um, so, yeah, basically all of our election stuff, all of our machines, all of the infrastructure, all of the databases are basically all third party private companies. None of this is is really done by the government. It's all outsourced. It's all purchased. It's all leased and rented and, and all of that. And there's no oversight. All your things. votes are belong to Putin. Well, basically, uh, their practices leave our elections vulnerable to breakdown and attack because it's all coming from private vendors. They, these companies build and maintain the registration databases. They create the websites that explain how to register and where to vote. They manufacture and configure the voting machines. But unlike unlike vendors and sectors that the federal government has designated as critical infrastructure, like defense and energy, uh, companies in the election technology space operate under very little federal regulation, some of which is somewhat insane. Uh, it, the The article goes on to list vendors don't have to disclose whether or not they're controlled by foreign nationals. That mm. seems pretty key to me. Uh, share information about the supply chain for parts they use or reveal their employee screening and cybersecurity practices. Vendors aren't even required under federal law to report if they've been hacked. What? what? <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, your your Huawei-controlled electronic voting device has been hacked and you don't have to tell anybody? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, uh, Mr. Well, Ellis Chan? Okay, so uh, in conversations I had with Mr. Chan and also um, other people who know about these sorts of things uh, both on and off the record... Um, my the impression that I'm left with is that there have been great improvements since 2016 to our election security. Um, many, many states are doing way, way better than they were then. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big part of that is is from the effort and partnership of organizations like the FBI who have taken an active role with the states to just make sure everything is as it should be. Um, it's also my understanding that the troubles come not surprisingly where you would think they may. And that is there is a lot of money available from the federal government for assistance with election security. Mm-hmm. There, But that assistance comes with strings attached and those mm-hmm. strings look like paper ballots or at least paper trails. Right. And there are a handful of states in this great union of ours who respond to any strings attached from the federal government and say, you Washington elites aren't going to tell me how to run my election. <laughs> so they re- they refuse the money and they do their own thing. Right. And the, the impression I get is that that's where 
the folks who are in this business, that's where they see that that's where they have the most concerns is people who have not taken the feds up on their offers to make these <laughs> things safer in obvious ways. Right. So now it's also my understanding that um, none of the swing states are this way, that all, all the big swing states are all uh, you know, getting the, the, I don't know, seal of approval probably isn't the right way to say it. But um, the folks in the FBI, for example, are feeling good about those states. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. A little positive yeah. news there. Yeah. It was actually surprising for me to hear. That was so, one of the nice takeaways from RSA. I left feeling a little better about all that stuff than I had when, when I went in. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we have some more Clearview AI news. I, I love this story. It's uh, it's exactly what you think would happen, of course. But uh, in response to the recent criticism, Clearview published a code of conduct. You can imagine where this is going, emphasizing in a blog post that its technology was available only for law enforcement agencies and select security professionals to use as an investigative tool. The post also added, we recognize that powerful tools always have the potential to be abused, regardless of who is using them, and we take the threat very seriously. Accordingly, the Clearview app has built-in safeguards to ensure these trained professionals only use it for its intended purpose to help identify and the perpetrators and victims of crimes. Now, the New York Times, of course, went out and found a lot of people with active access to Clearview's technology who are not law enforcement officials and were using it for things such as finding out who their daughters were dating. <laughs> Those with Clearview logins use facial recognition at parties, on dates, at business gatherings, giving demonstrations of its power for fun, or using it to identify people whose names they didn't know or couldn't recall. Uh, Mr. Scalzo, the founder of the invest investment firm Kernega Partners, said in the interview that his two school-aged daughters enjoyed playing with the app. They'd like to use it on themselves and their friends to see who they look like in the world. It's kind of fun for people. Um... <laughs> and of course, in September, Ashton Kutcher, the actor turned venture capitalist, described an app much like Clearview during a YouTube series called Hot Ones. That's the fun show where guests are interviewed while eating spicy chicken wings. And he said, I have an app in my phone in my pocket right now. It's like a beta app. It's a facial recognition app. I can hold it up to anybody's face here and like find out exactly who you are, what internet accounts you're on, and what they look like. It's terrifying. So basically, <laughs> people with money and people that invested have been running around with their own Version of the Clearview AI app, not using it for its intended purposes, not uh, anything. So just fun mm -hmm. game for the rich. I have a couple of things this reminds me of. One is that buddy of mine who in college worked at the photo mat in the middle of the parking lot of the grocery mm -hmm. store where you go and drop off your film and have photo developed. Yes, and, and make, uh, uh, make two copies of all the nudies. Yep, 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 yep. In the in the little booth, they had a little binder that they called your the "Who's Your Daddy" binder, and it was all the it was all. He said it was full of all the photos from bachelor parties. They'd make two copies and put together a little binder there. And I think this is a, an updated version of that. People who have access can't help playing with the toys and using them for themselves, even if that's not the right thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, well, Clearview AI is clearly not following their own rules or enforcing them. So if you're rich, it's good to be rich. I'm really <laughs> sad we already have a title because Who's Your Daddy Binder would be a great one. That <laughs> yeah, would be a good one. 
Yeah. And the last uh, story that I've got for this segment is, is this is a company that uh, Jason and I have talked about a couple times on on the show. Um, do not pay. They have uh, automated avenging services like appealing parking tickets. We'd heard about that one. Um, Worst Marvel movie ever. The automated <laughs> avengers. <laughs> I don't know. Might have been better than some of them. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, they've got another app that claims compensation for poor in-flight Wi-Fi, so that would be all of them. Uh, and then they had the <laughs> Robo Revenge, which we had just talked about recently, which sues robocallers and kind of a very bizarre system that I didn't really understand. Uh, but they've got a new one because of the California Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, customers who want to exercise the CCPA rights, we've talked about that as well, basically have to jump through thousands of hoops to get any information. And it's, they make it as difficult as possible. But Do Not Pay has unveiled a new service it calls Digital Health, and it automates the data deletion process. For just $3 a month, the service will contact more than 100 data brokers on your behalf and demand they delete you and your family's personal information. It will also show you the types of data the brokers have collected, such as phone numbers or location info, and even initiate legal proceedings if the firms fail to comply. I, that to me sounds like it's worth three bucks a month if it actually works. <laughs> Seriously, 36 bucks, a, yeah, 36 bucks a year. I'm in. Count me in for that. Yeah, I, I'm willing to check this one out. I'm a little, uh, the automated legal proceeding things is, you know, I, I'm married to a lawyer and she just rolls her eyes when she hears about these things. She's like, good luck with that. But, but mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, if they just respond and delete the data, that's, that to me is worth three bucks a month. Or they said visibility hmm. to zero. That's still worth three bucks a month. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me, uh, a few years ago, I had an acquaintance uh, who was a friend of a friend. Uh, I actually hated the guy. And for me to say <laughs> I hate someone means a lot. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave Sunshine it, and Fur <laughs> been mm -hmm. there. Come he's on. He's in an elite, an elite list of people for whom if I hear he's coming to a party, I have to consider if I actually want to go or not. Ah. I, I can't rate, make it tonight. I have coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this guy was a lawyer, is a lawyer, and he had a little notebook next to his phone and when people would call who were telemarketers, he would you know, say, who are you calling from? He'd write down and he'd say, please take me off your list. Don't call me again. And if they called again, he would say, who are you from? And he'd write it down. And then he'd send that company a letter and he'd say, I asked you to take me off your list. You called me back. The, my, the fee for this is $600. That's what the, the law says you're, you're obligated to pay me. Uh, here's my bill. And he would do several of these a month. He was making... More than beer money, just writing to these companies and, and getting his money. Now, I, I'm not quite <laughs> sure why you dislike this guy, because right now I want to buy him beer. Well, <laughs> I, I think right now I, I'm really enjoying him. Let's He's just, a lawyer, well, let's, you said, right? So let's think about the kind of person who chooses to spend their time doing this instead of other Instead Good of practicing things. law properly? <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of just, I don't know, anything, any contributing anything to society. In other words, he lived to catch other people and be right about everything. And oh, this okay. was just another, this is a way for him to exert his power over the world um let's just say he wasn't doing this for the greater good he okay. was doing this for well, himself well if he were doing this as a <laughs> hobby just on the side i i would uh, applaud him as a robin hood but uh, if yeah. this was more the the overall of his person then i can see where yes. you're coming from 
Yes. Yeah, he was he was he was inadvertently doing good while <laughs> right. not despite himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. The good was a, a side effect of his greed. Right. Yeah, that was that was the law of unintentional consequences. Because I'm sure yes. he didn't wake up the morning and say, "What good can I do for society?" Well, no. I can make some money. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Yep. Mm. Now this next one I heard over on the Darknet Diaries. Uh, I don't know if you guys listen to that show, but uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about it a bit here mm-hmm. and there. Yep. And uh, there was a great episode I thought with uh, Doggy G, who was a kind of a black hat hacker, went to prison for several years, had his life pretty much ruined by the government, deservedly so in some cases. Some might say, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe overreaching in other cases. Some might also say, but uh, he turned around and became a white hat hacker when bug bounties came out. And he's like one of the most prolific bug bounty hunters of all time. Hmm. And he makes, I mean, he makes close to a million dollars a year doing bug bounties. Hmm. I think he's number six on the, the biggest bug bounty site, just being himself, not even a team. But he mentioned a site that I wanted to throw out here because we get questions all the time. Like, where do I start in cybersecurity? What am I going to do? Um, he threw out hacker101.com. And it's a place where you can go and kind of learn the basics of uh, uh, basics. I, I have to add to that again of uh, just doing hacking and trying to find vulnerabilities and things like that. So I just wanted to throw this out there so people who are asking about this can put this in their quiver on when they're trying to go learn cybersecurity. Because if this guy says it's good, I kind of believe it because he makes a lot of money doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great to have a resource like that to to get those basics down because I think what happens with a lot of people is if you start listening to even this show but something like the Cyberwire which is a bit more, you know, B2B, we're throwing lingo around. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean we're throwing lingo around that yeah. we we there's an assumption that you know certain things. And so the great thing about a site like this is that you can you can get that basic knowledge and and then go into the more advanced stuff, you know, with that information under your hat. Yeah, I thought it was a really good, really good resource, mm-hmm. and and also Agreed. it's a really good episode. I, I like this guy. He's yep. he, he's he's not your typical hacker guy. He's kind of like Eminem meets the Fast and Furious meets you know Zero Cool. Yeah, <laughs> this is where you can get your burp suite with your XML entry entities and some num- null ter- termination bugs with unchecked redirects. There you go, and some click checking. Yeah, easy for you to say. <laughs> No, I kind of screwed it up, I think. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you want to try it again? No, we can, we it's can good. It's it. good. We'll leave it that way. <laughs> okay. I'm sure nobody will write in. <laughs> uh, you know, most of our correspondence these days involves you being a furry. So that's that's uh, that's true. It's everybody's favorite bit. Actually, I did you see the picture I posted from RSA with me with the, the uh, Zero Fox Fox? How could I not have? It was very <laughs> <Yes>. popular. <laughs> That's our show art for today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, one of the highlights of the show for me, I must admit. Yeah. Oh, did you guys trade fursonas and <laughs> God, no, here we go let's again. Just, <laughs> let's just say uh, that that guy has to take a lunch hour at some point and somebody has to fill in for him. So <laughs> who knows who was in that costume? Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, it's great to be back and uh, I'll see you next week. Excellent. Ups and doodads. So I'm going to file this one under doodads mm-hmm. <laughs> because I got my replacement for the hoodie that uh, I lost at uh, 
<laughs> podcast movement that some fucking cock sniffer stole because we know it was turned in and somebody stole it. It could not be found anywhere. I'm guessing because there was a hundred dollar microphone in the damn pocket. But well, before we I, say we know it was turned in, we we heard from a guy that was basically charged with setting up the tables who was wandering no, around outside that said that it was turned in. No, but he was talking <laughs> to a guy that was a conference member who was the guy that took it inside and he mm. said where it was. That's why I checked everybody in that hall. Trust no one, Jason. Uh, trust no one. Yeah, he was a little shifty little fucker. Uh, so I went to Adventure, which is now the company that Zane Lamprey runs because my, my hoodie that was <laughs> pilfered was uh, the original Adventure hoodie from 2016. I wore it every day. It was black Black camo and it was the most comfortable hoodie I ever owned. I loved that thing. But I ended up getting the Voyagers 2 hoodie from Adventure. And uh I have to say, I traded up. Who knew <laughs> oh that there were so many improvements left in the hoodie world? This thing is amazing and it turns into a pillow, which is pretty cool. So Jesus. you can fold it into a pillow if you want. And it has oh here's here's the biggest upgrade. On all the old hoodies, they had a bottle opener on the zipper well those are heavy and when you're walking it always knocked my knuckle and sometimes would cut my hand now they have an emergency rip cord kind of like when you when you look under your seat on an airplane and you pull out the uh, the life vest and it has this pull in case of emergency tab mm-hmm. now if you open the top left pocket it has one something that looks very similar to that but it's a bottle opener <laughs> well you know what done, I, you Zane. know what i need with my in my hoodies jason warmth a hood. That's <laughs> it, about it. It. Does, it does have a hood. Yes, it does have a hood. But That's man, really all I look for. A zipper, maybe a pocket. Well, okay. And here's the pro tip. Uh, if you check out Zane's new show, Crafts and Crafts, every at the end of every episode, they give you a 50% off in the store coupon to use. So I went and grabbed the coupon. So I got this thing, which is normally like $120, I think, which is pretty pricey for a hoodie. Um Oh, $109. Sorry, it's $109. I got it for like 50 bucks. Right. So well worth it. I mean, for 50 bucks for a hoodie of this quality, dude, uh, you should check this out, man. These things are amazing. <laughs> I just got to say. I, I know you're laughing, but trust me, you're a hoodie I, I'm, man. I'm good with hoodies. I, I, I've got plenty. Okay. Okay. Don't so need one ne- with an emergency ripcord. Uh, Brian, as much as you drink, I think you might. <laughs> oh, wait, you go to the bar where you have people do it for you. But you know what? I'm a prepper. I have to be able to open my own bottles. <laughs> so I got the Magewell XI100D USB one channel HDMI Gen 2 USB 3.0 capture dongle. Woo! This is the device that I talked about last show that I have to take back to Whole Foods to return. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the the wrong one last time. They didn't send me the USB version. Uh, so there's a link in the show notes for this. It's not cheap. It's 300 bucks, but. I've been using the uh, Blackmagic Intensity Shuttle for bringing video cameras into my computer. Mm -hmm. It's got like every kind of input in the world. The problem with the Blackmagic is that you can't use it as a webcam. So I needed something that was just going to simply take an HDMI input, transcode it to the computer, and let me use it as a webcam. And this thing works great. It, it's got two holes in it, one for the USB, one for the HDMI. You plug it in, <laughs> you pick your source, and you're done. So, uh, it, I mean, like I said, it's not cheap. It's 300 bucks, but uh, it does exactly what it says on the tin. There you go. 
And I discussed that I recently just did a big road trip with the kid and he watched all of the toy stories while I was driving. Uh, but I picked up the before the trip for this case, the TFY universal car headrest mount holder with angle adjustable holding clamp for tablets compatible with iPad two slash three slash four slash iPad mini slash iPad air slash iPad pro slash Samsung Galaxy tab S two slash tab a and more. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> it's it was great. It's twenty five bucks um, Prime, you know, same day shipping, which is wonderful. It's adjustable, which is nice because my kid is small now, but will be bigger. Short. So he's I will not. <laughs> yes, he's a little short right now, but he will get taller. So I will be able to adjust it forward and back as as he grows. Uh, no need to update it, and it fits everything. Um, it's great. So I highly recommend it if you've got a kid and you want to let them watch uh, some Paw Patrol or whatever while you're driving somewhere. Well, Paw Patrol, hey, man, I can put one in the back seat for Bam and Dino. I'm in. Yeah, you never know. And I'm afraid, Jason, that the curse of grumpy old geeks has struck again. Oh, Jesus. What did we kill this time? Well, we randomly mentioned SETI at home a couple episodes ago, and I saw in the news that it has stopped the project. It's See, dead. We we have all the power, people. <laughs> we this really like do. De- we're, we're like Death Note, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we're like the Death Note of podcasts. Yes. So fear our power, people. Fear our power. It is true. We mentioned SETI at home, and after 21 years, UC Berkeley has announced that the project will stop on March 31st. It was born at UC Berkeley and released to the world on May 17th, 1999, using the university's distributed computing platform, Boink. Boink! (laughs) Whenever people left their machines on, but they weren't using it, the program would take over and crunch data sent from UC Berkeley, and that way the system created a giant internet-connected supercomputer to grind through all the info. In a statement, project leaders said that the reason for the hibernation is that they're at the point of diminishing returns. Fundamentally, so much information has already been processed that it's now time to sift through it and look for any sort of conclusion, which will be, nope, no aliens. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Dark forest, people, dark forest. Yeah. So if you're looking for another good cause to support and have actually still been doing SETI at home, you could always support Folding at Home, which is still in operation. It's a platform that offers distributed computing for disease research, drug design, and other medical research, which recently began tackling COVID-19 as well. So if you have a Bitcoin mining rig that you have in the garage (laughs) that you're not using anymore, send it over to Folding at Home and then you can, you know. Help, Help humanity. Help humanity with your giant electric bill. Yes. God. And uh, I, this came out as a little bit surprising to me because tw- Twitter has been the one social media platform that has uh, so far resisted self-deleting tweets or things of that nature, even though oh we all God. both use programs that go through <laughs> and delete things. But they are testing a new feature in Brazil that auto-deletes tweets after just one day in a move it says will be is intended to make users feel less pressure and give them more control over tweets. So politicians, listen up. Twitter is calling the feature for now at least fleets. Fleets, Twitter says in a blog post about the new feature rolling out, is uh, tweets that expire after 24 hours and cannot be publicly liked, commented on, or retweeted. Again, I've always been worried about this. Basically, it's like Instagram and Snapchat equivalent of stories or even Facebook, which has them as well. What is the point of posting on social media in which there can be no interactions? Okay. I don't understand. I don't understand that. <laughs> I do. I do. And I fucking called this the first month that Twitter was in business. I had a conversation with Evan Williams, who was the then CEO and a friend of mine, and I said, you need to make these things go away. And he said, no, we're never going to do that. Well, 
apparently I was what? How, how fucking old is Twitter? Ten years in change? <laughs> well, here I'm, ugh, I'm so goddamn right again. It's pissing me off. And I said that tweets lose context over time. Yep. Because other people can delete them, and you have no idea what somebody's talking about. If you have a timeline of people talking about things that has no context, they can come off looking like morons, or worse yet, everything that we've seen happen because of Twitter. So I am, I, I'm very glad that they're going to do this, but I would just like to say that if they would have hired me as a product consultant at the fucking get-go, then we'd have been better off as a human species, because god damn it, this pisses me off. Well, the other thing that you probably would have been done if would have done if you'd been hired on as a product developer is you probably would have googled the term fleets before using those uh, because aren't those enemas? <laughs> well, yep, that's the problem. <laughs> At least here in the U.S., uh, yes, in here as you have probably gathered by now, the name is catching a whole lot of shit on Twitter for sharing its name with a company that manufactures at-home enema products. No pun intended. Yes. <laughs> uh, have you seen all the news about Jack Dorsey? No, I, I don't really. Oh, I, uh, yeah. I, I, I was going to put this in the news, but I saw this in here, so I had to had to pop it in here. Jack Dorsey is under fire right now because an investor who bought a ton of Twitter stock is trying to get him ousted as CEO. Oh, I did because, see a headline about that, yeah. Yes, yes. They're going after him hard because part of the, you know, the thing that when he took the job was that this has to be a full-time job. Well, no, sorry. Jack is the CEO also of Square. Yep. And Jack has now said to everyone everybody that he's going to he's going to do his job remotely for six months out of the year from africa and okay. <laughs> well, you're not really doing your job then jack nobody wants jack in the spot so they're they're really trying to get more uh, board seats and they're trying to really get him the hell out because hey, the, he's just following yeah. twitter's own self uh, self-professed rules right now about working from home yeah, he is. You know what? You know what Jack's CEO uh, contract needs to have? A fleet clause. <laughs> so he's deleted after 24 hours. I cannot wait for Jack to get the hell out of there. I have not liked this guy for a long time, and he needs to go. All righty. Let's put you in charge of Twitter. Dude, I, the fleet I, master. I, I'll go back and find all my emails <laughs> that I sent to Ev and get, our, get my notes, and then we can actually make a decent social network for once. Yeah, okay. All right. And a quick hat tip to a friend of the show, Hannah, who sent me this link this morning. Uh, this cool online radio station lets you listen to popular songs from any decade and country from 1900 to now. And I just got the link in there and I, I tooled around on it a bit today. It's pretty cool. One little disturbing thing I saw, though, is like, they're like, help us fill out our music library. Upload your favorite tracks here. Hmm. Ooh, something that's seems a, a little that might be problematic. You so, think? Yeah. Holy so shit. I didn't look too into it, but I'm assuming they probably don't have the rights for any of this music. So uh, you know, go enjoy it while you can. You can <laughs> enjoy click it while on you can. <laughs> you can click on any country on the map, select a decade uh, beginning with 1900, and it will start playing music from that country and decade. I've avoided saying the name of it so far, Jason, because it seems like a new one for you. Radio. <laughs> Yes, it's radio with a bunch of O's. <laughs> radio! <laughs> God. Radio, bye! Because you're not going to last that long. Hello, copyright enforcement. You... Yeah, I didn't look into it. Maybe, maybe they're paying. 
but somehow I doubt it, especially. It's usually a bad, bad sign when you're looking for user-generated music content. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Thanks to, thanks to Disney, copyright goes back to 1742 now, so yes. <laughs> pretty much screwed on that one. Now, I saw this one over at Wired, and it's uh, an article titled, A Deft Robotic Hand that, make, that Would Make Luke Skywalker Proud. And what it is is they figured out now that when you're when you you know you're amputated the nerves try and keep growing and they create this little ball at the end which why people get that like phantom phantom limb syndrome yeah phantom limb syndrome yeah yeah phantom menace limb syndrome maybe (laughs) (laughs) call it darth maul syndrome (laughs) uh so what they've done now is they've found a way to like actually take like actual bio material put it into a robotic hand and let the nerves try and connect to it which is just i mean it's amazingly cool that it is, is amazingly awesome. cool and when you yeah. watch this guy use this thing in the videos it's an, it's insane right. it's absolutely insane and uh but the problem with this is a deft robotic hand that'd make luke skywalker proud is really kind of uh not really happening because there is another robotic arm that really actually made Luke Skywalker proud. And it's this young woman who had a uh, crowdfunding campaign to get an R2-D2 bionic arm. And she got it. It was sent to her. And it's a pretty cool looking little little arm that she can, you know, it's articulating and she can pick things up with it. And the makers of the arm actually did a video call with her to say, congratulations on your new arm. We have a special surprise for you. And Mark Hamill jumped on the fucking line and congratulated her for getting her new arm. And I, I got to say, it got a little dusty in the room. You know who came onto that call after Mark Hamill? Who? Disney's lawyers suing for copyright infringement. <laughs> no, they have the rights to do the Star Wars branded <laughs> bionic arms. They do. I, you know, I, it's interesting she didn't get a C-3PO arm because that would be a little bit more appropriate. But uh, yeah, no, they do have the rights to do that. But it was really cool of Mark Hamill to come on and talk to her. It was very cool. It was a very touching video. Mark Hamill is just one of those wonderful people online. Like uh, he's yeah. just great. He really is. He's learned how to use social media, and he's just—it just projects what a great guy he is. Brick a brick. Well, we can't stop talking about the coronavirus because it's everywhere. But uh, this is one of the best things I've seen about it, and I just had to put it in here. Of course, obviously, this is a uh, this is parody. It's from thebeaverton.com, a site I was unaware of, but will now be checking on a regular basis. Report. Outbreak of idiocy spreading 10,000 times faster than coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Public health officials in Toronto have confirmed its first 50,000 cases of being a misinformed fuckwit as xenophonic, <laughs> xenophobic conspiracy theories and tales of false cures continue to spread across social media. Being a complete moron during an infectious disease outbreak is far more viral than we first thought, said Dr. Jeannie Smith of Toronto Public Health. Fact resistance is abnormally high, especially among the dullard population and the bottom 5% of your graduating high school class. Fact resistance. <laughs> Patients are usually asymptomatic. Why am I not able to talk Asymptotic? today? Asymptomatic? Asymptomatic <laughs> until, until they open their mouths or start tweeting. Meanwhile, health officials are dreading teaching the population a complicated prevention technique, washing your hands. Closing shout outs. I don't believe this one was our fault because we never mentioned him, even though we have talked about Trader Joe's a few times. But sad news from the Trader Jews. J- Trader Jews. Trader Jews. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got to cut that think, one, please. I don't think, no, we're keeping that one. I don't think I don't think there is a Trader Jews, but somebody should open one. Lots of dreidels, man. 
Oh, God. <laughs> Super high quality, locally sourced. <laughs> locally sourced matzah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sad news from the Trader Joe's world. Uh, Trader Joe's founder, Joe Columbe, has passed away at 89. So, yeah, he started, he envisioned a new generation of young grocery shoppers emerging in the 1960s, ones that wanted healthy, tasty, high quality foods that they couldn't find in most supermarkets and couldn't afford to buy in the few high end gourmet outlets at the time. So, awesome. I've Friggin' love Trader Joe's. I shop there at least once a week. They've got great stuff. So sad to hear that he passed away. I shop at Trader Joe's probably four times a week because they've got <laughs> they got really smart. I the Trader Joe's next to my house has the largest wine department of any Trader Joe's in California. So that's a <laughs> that's a nice thing here. But they their booze prices are below everybody in the neighborhood. But they have great prices on eggs and cheese and chips. Their produce sucks though. I gotta say. But here's the thing. I bet at his funeral the parking also sucked because it sucks <laughs> at every damn Trader Joe's. Well, I. I beg to differ because they just opened up a brand new one in Marina Del Rey and it's got a huge parking lot. I, I, I know it's against their company policies. I don't know how it happened, but it did. Uh, it's going to be full. You're going to be screwed no, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you know why they always had those parking lots so small is because, you know, it was a hippie thing and they wanted everybody to walk there. You know, it's like, well, that, why are that's you driving the story. a car? Why are you <laughs> driving a car, story. you capitalist pig dog? You know, the reality is they wanted the smallest parcel of land that they could because it was cheaper. Yeah. And help them keep their costs down. Until next time, I'm Brian Schulmeister. And I'm Jason DeVillipo. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. To support the show and keep us on the air, go to GOG.show slash donate and give us all your monies. Toss us a few bucks and we'll love you forever. Your support really keeps us going and we really appreciate it. Show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash 420. From there, you can find links to old episodes, leave feedback, ask questions, donate to the show, and get links to stuff we like. Stay grumpy. And since it's episode 420, I want to try to find out what area that would be. Nothing, man. Everybody's too stoned.